Today we're continuing, we're finishing a three-week mini-series on the Lord's Supper. So please open your Bibles to the one of the classical texts on the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, you might have heard of the old-fashioned term wedding bands. Have you heard that? Wedding bands, B-A-N-S, or sometimes spelt B-A-N-N-S. What, what were the old wedding bands? Well, when a couple were engaged, the priest of the church would, for three Sundays in a row, read out a public announcement that uh, such and such and so-and-so are, are getting married on a particular date, and the idea was that if anyone knew of any reason why this couple shouldn't be married, so someone might know that he's already married, he's got a wife in another town, or she's actually a nun who's made vows of celibacy, or uh, maybe that the, uh, the couple are more closely related than what they've, they've been telling people. There was various reasons why the, the wedding should not, not proceed, and the purpose of the wedding bands was to make this public announcement because weddings are inherently public events. Weddings are not private events. They're inherently public. And the reason Christians, in particular, prize the public nature of our weddings is that, is that we know that it helps to strengthen the couple's resolve so if a couple are making their vows in public, in front of friends and family, then that's going to help them strengthen their resolve. And because it's going to strengthen the, uh, the, the public's protection and support of that couple. This morning what we're going to see is that the Lord's Supper is also inherently a public act. And you might have thought up until today that the Lord's Supper is something that is between me and God. When I take the Lord's Supper, that's between me and God. Well, I hope you're going to see from 1 Corinthians 11 today that that is not at all the case. That when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are doing something very public. It's a public event. It's a public announcement. So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to pick it up from verse 17. Let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we plead for your help now as we read your word, study it together. Be our teacher, open our hearts, our ears, our minds to receive the truth of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you'll see straight away in 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 17 that Paul is angry. Paul is angry. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Now, what on earth was going on in the Corinthian church for Paul to say, it would be better for you not to meet 
than to meet in the way you are meeting. What on earth were they doing? In the first place, verse 18, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are literally schismata, divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Now here Paul is is being sarcastic in verse 19. No doubt there, there have to be factions among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One of you remains hungry, another gets drunk. Now here we remember that the Lord's Supper in the very early church was probably taken within the context of a a meal, a, uh, a community meal, if you like. So the church brought their, brought their food as they gathered together and they had a, a communal meal together and the Lord's Supper was taken as a part of that communal meal. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, Paul says? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So we see what's going on. The, the church is, is, is gathering, rich people are bringing their gourmet foods, they've got lots of food, the poor people, they don't have much. And it looks as though the rich people are using this as an opportunity to show off. Well, look at what we have for lunch here. And, and look, what, look what you're eating, your, your baked bean jaffles, <laughs> while we have our foie gras and our lobster thermidor or whatever the, the rich people are eating. And so Paul knows that they were using this as an opportunity to divide themselves and for the rich people to show off their difference before the poor people. What shall I say to you, says Paul? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. The King James translation, I praise you not, says Paul. Now, differences between members of a church are inevitable. Look around you. Just look around you. What a mix of age, sex, origin, ethnicity, education, wealth, health, gifts, and experience. Look around you and you will see a motley crew, right? We are a motley crew. Praise God for our differences. These differences are, in fact, our strength. Every one of you, and Paul is going to talk about this later in the letter, we don't have time for it, but from verses chapters 12, 13 and 14, he says that every one of you has a vital role to play in the church. And God made you different because each of you has an important part to play. And this morning I would say to our young people, I thank God especially for you. Because if you were not here, and if you were not beginning to step up and to serve in this church, and to run things, and eventually to take over this church, it will be dead in a matter of years. And so young people, I'm particularly glad you're here. And isn't it great to see little Zach... Who remembers Zach when he used to play his toy drum? 
Remember that? Back in the Philip Smith Center? And we thought, how cute. He used to play his toy drum. And now he's here playing the, the djembe and blessing us all. I mean, you blessed us with your toy drum, Zach, but uh, even more <laughs> with, with the djembe. And I, and I think we, this is what we want to see, our young people with the gifts that God has given you, using them. Use them. Come and, and, and participate and take over the church. Take it over, because if you don't, then the re- us, us old people, we're going to die soon and there won't be a church. So you've got to step up and, and, and do that. Now, as I said, as Paul knew, the Corinthians had turned the differences in their church into divisions. And they were dividing at the Lord's table. They were pridefully setting themselves apart from one another. They were destroying the fellowship. And Paul said, you would be much better off not meeting at all. Your, your gatherings where you are pridefully dividing one from another are so harmful, you'd be better off staying at home. Now, how does Paul correct what they were doing? Well, he corrects them, and we are going to look at this now from verse 23. He corrects them by showing that the Lord's Supper is Jesus' parting gift, that the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of Jesus' death, and that the Lord's Supper demands careful self-examination. So that's what we're going to look at now. The Lord's Supper is Jesus' parting gift. It is a proclamation of Jesus' death and it demands careful self-examination. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed... And it was a very solemn night that Paul is asking us to recall. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, it's the Passover bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup and most scholars believe that this was the third cup of the Passover meal. We can't be certain, but it was a cup of wine that was associated with Passover. And Jesus talked to the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, what Paul is saying is that he didn't invent the Lord's Supper for the Corinthian church. He received the Lord's Supper from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus does not allow us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He commands it. It's not just something he he lets us do as a good idea that we might have come up with, but he, he commands that we do it. Now think about the original giving of the Lord's Supper. When a person is about to die, they give their last will and testimony. They bless their family with affirmations of love and they bless their family with an inheritance, if at all possible. And the Lord's Supper is Jesus' last will and testimony to the church. He's about to die and this is his gift to the church. 
It is an affirmation of his love for his church. Where, where, when a, a father dies, he wants to know that, he wants his children to know that he loves them, that he loved them, and he wants to be remembered in that way as a loving father. And Jesus gave us this meal on the night before his death because he wanted us to know his love for us and to constantly remember his love for us. And it is Jesus' inheritance to the church. A a, a person would love, every person would love to leave some kind of financial inheritance to their children, to their grandchildren. Every Christian would want to do that if at all possible. And Jesus has left us this wonderful, rich inheritance, a meal that he commands us to celebrate, that reminds us of his love, and that strengthens us, that strengthens us as his followers, as his disciples. And you recall that two weeks ago we saw that the Lord's Supper reminds us that the the wonderful new covenant that was promised in the Old Testament has been enacted thanks to the death of Jesus. And last week we saw the importance of Jesus' disciples feeding on his body and blood. And Jesus repeated this again and again in John chapter 6. And the Lord's Supper is is a means of doing that. By faith, we feed on the body and blood of Jesus. And this is why John Calvin called the Lord's Supper a spiritual banquet. I mean, it's not physically a banquet, is it? Far from it. A few bits of bread and little cups of wine. It's not a physical banquet by any means but it is a spiritual banquet, a rich feast for God's people, for those who belong to Christ. And Calvin said it's a spiritual banquet where we are refreshed by partaking of Christ, where we may repeatedly gather strength until we have reached heavenly immortality. This is the rich inheritance, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has given us, that he gave us on the night of his death, a meal that we celebrate together where we are strengthened in our faith in Christ. And we need to be strengthened, don't we? We need it. We know how weak we are. We need Christ to strengthen us. And he said, well, I've given you this meal as one of the means of strengthening you. A Christian without the Lord's Supper, what's that like? Well, in our our office, when we moved from the the old office here, I get so disorientated in this building, the old office to the new office, uh, we took Paul Hutchins' pot plant with us, and uh, Paul, in the meantime, found a different place to do his study, so we watched his pot plant uh, going from having nice green foliage to all of the leaves sort of lying flat like a, like a, a salad that's been in the fridge for three weeks. That's, that's, that's kind of what his, what his plant looked like. 
And a plant without water is, is droopy, miserable, it, it, it doesn't benefit anyone, it just, you know, we look at it, we're just depressed by Paul's <laughs> plant. And so I had this brainwave. I thought, I'll give it some water. <laughs> and so I did. I gave it a cup of water and immediately it picked up and, and, and it's now looking tremendous. And I go and I feel good when I see, see Paul's plant. But a, a, a Christian who is not taking the Lord's Supper, you, you, you're going to be that, that plant that, that shrivels and, and dies because this is what he's given us to strengthen us. Yes, he's given us his word to read and to hear his word taught. He's given us prayer. He's given us fellowship. But the Lord's Supper is such an important means that he has given to strengthen us. Another illustration of what I mean. Who remembers how depressing it was when you were a boy and you had a torch and you got the torch for Christmas and then by Christmas night, it was just this feeble yellow glow <laughs> coming out of the torch. You know, when you first turn it on and it's bright and you're shining people in the eyes and you're, <laughs> you, it's so exciting to have a torch with fresh batteries. And then by the end of the day, it's just, uh, it's so sad. It's so miserable. It's depleted. It's good for nothing. And, and, and in the same way, the Lord gave us this to to recharge us, to strengthen us, to give us spiritual energy and vitality. The Lord's Supper is such an important gift that our Lord Jesus has given us that he commands us to take. So, Paul's correction of the Corinthian church. First of all, he wants you to know that the Lord's Supper is Jesus' parting love gift and it's something that is tremendously strengthening. We need that strength that it gives us. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of Jesus' death. And this might surprise you, but we say it every time we, we take the Lord's Supper, and these words might have just washed over you, but look at them carefully today. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take that in, please. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, says the Apostle Paul. To proclaim. The Greek lexicon means to publicly broadcast something far and wide. When you are taking the Lord's Supper, you're like the town crier going into the town square with, and ringing the bell. Hear ye, hear ye. Everyone, listen to what I am saying. When you take the Lord's, Lord's Supper, says Paul, you are doing that. You're proclaiming something. You're proclaiming to something, something to those who are seated around you, yes, but the proclamation goes far beyond the walls of this church. It is a public proclamation. The Lord's Supper is never 
and never has been and never will be something that is between me and God, just me and God. It's this private thing that we have. It goes far beyond the walls of this church because Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming. And that word refers to a public proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes. On Friday, Amanda Sue had the the privilege of being on the radio with some other um, candidates. That's the word. I was trying to think of the nice word. That's right, the the candidates. That's right. (laughs) The candidates. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) And she was on the radio. She was being interviewed by uh, Radio National, or the Tasmanian radio station, Leon Compton, right. And uh, Leon Compton, she's in the Glenorchy Shopping Centre and uh, with three other candidates. And Leon Compton decides to ask her this question. Amanda Sue, do you think homosexuals are going to hell? What a question to be asked. What a question. And you know where he's coming from, of course. It's from the Israel Folau Instagram post. It's been in the paper pretty much every day for the last four weeks. And he's, he's putting her on the spot and saying, what do you think? Do you think the same as him? And Amanda Sue said that along these lines, the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners. We are all sinners. And we all need the grace and mercy of God. We all need Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. Now, what a tremendous opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I feel proud as well, and hopefully that little clap got me out of trouble for, for later on, so, so thank you for that. Now, we, we, don't all have that, we don't all have the opportunity that Amanda Sue was given on, on Friday to proclaim on public radio the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Paul says, actually, when you take the Lord's Supper, you are, you are doing that, you are proclaiming to the world. I am a Christian and that means I am a sinner and I need the grace of Christ and I need his crucified body and blood. You are proclaiming that to the world. There's a sense in which it is an evangelistic act and that's Uh, a remarkable thing. It's an important thing. Can you see how this must have sounded to the Corinthians who were using this for selfishness and using this to separate themselves and to magnify their differences, divisions? Paul says, no. This is a time when you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And that means our third and final point That means that the Lord's Supper demands careful self-examination. And that stands to reason, doesn't it? If this is Jesus' precious love gift to us, given on the night of his death, and if this 
Taking part of this meal is to make a public pronouncement of your faith and your need for Jesus Christ. It stands to reason that we must carefully examine ourselves before we come to this table. When I was a kid, the, the, the thing was for boys, footy jumpers. I'm talking about the 70s and WA. You wore footy jumpers. Anyone else used to wear footy jumpers? And uh, this was for the Waffle, the West Australian Football League. And so I used to wear an East Perth football jumper because that was the team I kind of went for. But, uh, and they were blue and black. And the thing was, the culture was, that you would never, you'd never wear a football jumper of a team of the, of, that you didn't support. You'd never do that. You'd never wear the Claremont Tigers football jumper if you didn't go for the Claremont Tigers. And everyone had a sense that, well, that would just be fake. Why, why are you wearing the, lion, the, the Tigers jumper when you don't care about the Tigers? You don't care what they're, how they're going. And there was a, a real sense of, that, that's just hypocrisy. It's hypocritical to wear the jumper of a team that you don't care about, that you don't support. So if we think that through for a moment, if eating the Lord's Supper is a public pronouncement of Jesus' death for sinners, then if we don't care about this meal, if we don't care about Jesus, if we don't care about his death, if we don't think, if if we're not convinced that we need his, his death to give us life, that we need his death to give us forgiveness for sins, we can see how wrong it would be to participate in this meal. There'd be a real hypocrisy about that. If you're saying you're taking part in a meal which fundamentally proclaims to the world that Jesus Christ has saved sinners, when you don't care about that and you don't think you need Jesus yourself, that would be wrong. And that's why Paul says that unworthy participation is a serious crime. It's a serious crime. Look there at verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. What does fallen asleep mean in the New Testament? Some people have died, Paul said. Some people have died. They've gotten sick and died because they were participating in this meal thoughtlessly and unworthily. That gets my attention. I hope it's got your attention. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Can you see here that the Lord's Supper 
always does something to the person who takes it. It always does something. If you take this and you're a Christian and you're a sinner who knows that you need Jesus Christ for salvation, it will bless you. It will strengthen you. If you don't recognise the body and blood of Christ, you don't think you need the body and blood of Christ and you you take this thoughtlessly, it will do something to you as well. It will condemn you because God uh, does not take lightly anyone who takes his son lightly or the death of his son lightly. And Paul knew that there were those in the Corinthian church who had been judged and fell sick and some even died because they were taking the death of his son lightly, thoughtlessly, carelessly. And so we must participate in in what Paul calls a worthy manner. A worthy manner. What does that mean? It is so important that we ask that question. In fact, what Paul is, according to what Paul has just said, it's a life or death question. What is worthy participation? And what the Bible does not teach is that worthy, that you are worthy to take the Lord's Supper if you are without sin, that only the, the sinless and the perfect and the holy can take the Lord's Supper. No. Not saying that at all. Because we are all sinners. We are all unworthy in ourselves for the things of God. We all deserve God's judgment. Worthy participation is this it's the sinner who knows that they're a sinner, who confesses their sin, and who knows that they need the body and blood of Christ to take away their sin. Worthy participation is not about, well, I've had a pretty good week this week with my Bible reading, prayer and Christian fellowship. Or I've had a pretty good week this week of of victory over the the, the sins that plague me. So I think I can... No, that's, that's not what makes a person worthy. What makes a person worthy is the recognition of our sin and the recognition that only the body and blood of Christ can take away our sin. And so when you examine yourself, as Paul urges us to, that is what we are examining. Do I recognise in this bread the body of Jesus crucified? Do I recognise in this wine the blood of Christ crucified? And do I acknowledge my absolute need on his death, and his death alone for salvation from my sins. And so in a moment when we come to examine ourselves before coming to the Lord's table, that's the question you must ask yourself. Do I confess my sin? Do I need the death of Christ to take away my sin? Sometimes we get asked, how old should a person be before they take the Lord's Supper? What's the age Well, Paul doesn't give us an age, does he? 
But what he does say is that a person should be examining themselves. And so parents, you're going to have to help your older children with this. You're going to have to help them decide whether they are at that stage where they can examine themselves and ask those questions and whether they are capable of examining and coming to the Lord's table in what Paul calls a worthy manner. And so the elders of the church urge Christian parents to guide and instruct their older children with this. And if you have more questions about that, don't hesitate to ask, please. Please come and speak to one of the elders about that. Well, I hope today that we have all seen that like a wedding, the Lord's Supper is a a public event. And when you take the Lord's Supper, you will strengthen your brothers and sisters around you. You It ought to strengthen your resolve as you take the Lord's Supper in front of your church family. It ought to strengthen your resolve to repent of your sin and to hold on to Christ. And when we take the Lord's Supper, you are in effect making a public challenge to all people. Don't you see that you need Jesus Christ? Don't you see that you need the crucified Son of God for salvation and eternal life? It's Jesus' parting love gift to us. And he commands that we take this meal to strengthen our faith. And as a church, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper as often as we want to. There's no frequency put in the Bible. We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper as often as we choose to do so. And please pray for our elders as we make a final decision on the first Monday of June as to whether we continue with weekly communion. Let me close in prayer. (coughs) Lord Jesus, thank you for this meal. Thank you for this love gift. We confess uh, too often we have taken it lightly, thoughtlessly. Lord Jesus, help us never to treat the things of God lightly. And we pray that you'll help us now as we come humbly, self-examination. Help us to see whether we have indeed put our trust in you and you alone. And Lord God, I I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling today, struggling with their faith. Every day is a struggle. Lord, you know them. And Lord, we love them. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given us this gift to strengthen those who are feeling weak, feeling feeble, who are battling. And I pray that the weak in faith will come and feed on Christ and will be strengthened by his tremendous love gift. I pray that all those 
who are famished will come today and feast by faith on Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Bishop.